You hear about the tw 23rd of uh, October breakthrough. We had two brigade attacks in July. Uh, fifth brigade, uh, I'm not sure which brigade it was, <coughs> fourth brigade I think, and our sixth brigade, we attacked these ridges. Uh, <coughs> the, the, the first attack was on the 15th, 14th, 15th, and our one was uh, 21st, 22nd of July. And Kippenberger said afterwards, neither attack served any useful purpose. And we recorded it, and they busted us into a bloody vehicle, shot us out to Alexandria, uh, and back up to the desert in a bloody hurry. And uh, the next night, they said, we've got an attack. We're going to attack. Uh, well, I thought for years that we to uh, attacked uh, Amaria Ridge, or Mitteria Ridge. But actually, we didn't attack a ridge at all. We took a, a, a attacked a depression, and it, it, it was mixed up with this. There was about three ridges there, and uh, <clears throat> so we uh, we were assembled in daylight, and we went out to an assembly point in a little hollow in the ground, a bit of a wadi, and we were there. That was uh, late in the day, and uh, a, a light, the sun was still still shining a bit, and we were there in our launching position to attack the Alamein, or oh, this bloody ridge or depression, and uh, the enemy saw us, they started to mortar us and Vickers guns, and uh, machine guns. And so we had to dig bloody slit trenches. And you can't dig a slit trench lying flat on your bloody back and scratching. You can't, can't do it much good that way. Not if it's sand, you might, but with stone stuff, the stratus, you have to break through them with a pick. Every man had a, a shovel short-handled shovel or a, or a pick and I had a pick and I'd stand I'd, I'd get up on my knees to swing and I'd get about two things and I'd hear and I'd dive and then psh, 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 the bullets would go overhead and uh, you, you've got no way of judging how high above them they are but they sound as though they're level with you so you, you're up and down like a yo-yo and uh, shifty duff said to me, could I borrow your pick? And I said, yeah, sure, but look after the bastards, it's the only one I've got. So he, he took a couple of swipes, and we heard this bloody machine gun, there several of them really. So he died down and lay flat, he was about five yards away from me, and there was a bit of a dip between the pair of us. And uh, a bit of mortar, sh mortar, a bit of shrapnel came over, and hit, hit the bloody. The handle of the pick was there, like a bit of shrapnel carved a, a curve out of out of the pick handle, near the head of it, and the, and what it left was, you knew you'd break it the first time you picked it up. And so there we were lying there, getting ready to go and attack the enemy for the first time in our bloody lives. 
and I'm abusing him, you useless bastard. Trust you, the, the best pick in the bloody battalion, probably in the Eighth Army. And what do you do with the bloody thing? You're that bloody careless, you leave it lying around where it can bloody well get knocked around. And he said, yeah. And he said, I've got great news for you too. He said, I've got a very tidy bit of shrapnel in my arm. He said, and I'm going out to treatment. And the bastard, he went out to treatment. And he, uh, oh, we met up with each other again a long while later. But, <clears throat> but uh, oh, we were there uh, waiting when uh, another bloke in our outfit, he'd, he'd been in the, uh, uh, the, the, little, the squad that had gone to the brothel, and uh, he, he was uh, ha having one for the first time, and he was rather reluctant. He was a quiet bloke, and, uh, and they, they said, oh, I'll do you the world of good, make a bloody man of you. <clears throat> anyway, we were up in this bloody uh, forward area waiting to uh, go on the attack. Well, it wasn't going until nine o'clock that night or something. And Ted came up to me and he said, uh, I've got something wrong with something down below here. I said, what, is it dripping or discharging or something like that? He said, yeah. I said, were you in that group that went to the bottom? He said, yeah. I said, you got saddled up? He said, yeah. I said, oh, well, the doctor's over there, about a thousand metres. Oh, he said, oh, I'd never find my way there. And I said, oh, well, come on, we'll go. So we go over there. And the doctor said, had a look at it. He said, yes, you're going out. So back we came <coughs> to get his gear, his pack and so and uh, I said to him, you can find your own way back, can you? He said, yeah, it wasn't it's quite dark. And as soon as he'd gone, two of the hard cases in the platoon came up to me. And they said, what's wrong with Ted? I said, oh, he's got, got something wrong with his kidneys or something. He said, pig's ass." I said, well, you ought to bloody know, you bastard. You got him saddled up, not me. Uh, I said, yes, he's... Uh, gone over and he's been diagnosed and he's being withdrawn. And I said, you risked his life walking right across the open bloody desert like that to go and consult a doctor. He's had six loads and I've had seven loads. We know more about bloody VD than any bloody doctor. Oh, if, you'd, if you'd used your bloody knives, you wouldn't have been risking poor Ted's bloody life and them. While you're strolling out there and strolling back, he's been over that bloody thing. One, two, three, three times, and he said, and they, they were going to be assholes. And one of them said, what did you say you had seven loads? You're not counting the bloody time that you came back and, and you poured bloody condish down the eye of your tool. And the stuff got into your testicles and they swelled up and they were like blood field bowls. Here's his bloody jokers in this front line. You're not like this. And uh, so we were having a, 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 our section, we were having a hell of a laugh. And 
we had a couple of blokes, one section, or mostly rat bags, but we had a cobber. And uh, he came over to see what it was all about. And the corporal from the other one came over, and I told him about it. He said, shit, you bastard, a bloody hard bob, your bob. And, uh, and I said, oh, shit, Ted that's going out, he's got a bloody brother in C Company. I'd better go and tell him that... Uh, so I had a fine bloody C Company, and when it scattered around, it, uh, I was busy with all sorts of bloody things. Bloody officer with it, had never been in action, he was giving bloody calling NCO groups, and I, I didn't go because I wasn't an NCO, and then I was getting abused because I wasn't there because I was doing NCO work. And, uh, it was really weird. Anyway, uh, I got to, te to Ted's brother and told him, I said, Ted's been evacuated with kidney trouble. So uh, he won't be going in with you. And Ted's brother got captured that night. So his brother, he, Ted's brother wouldn't have known what happened to Ted. Uh, but when we went into this bloody attack, <coughs> it was dark by then, and they said, we're, we're attacking on a compass uh, reading of due east, uh, due west, which I think was 300. And to keep sh keep you in line was a brigade attack, so that there was you know over a thousand men involved, and we were spread out three yards apart in the moonlight, the fixed bayonets, those that had bayonets, and. We were walking forward, and to keep us on, a, uh, uh, on the axis of the, the, the compass reading, they had both us, the things that they fired, anti-aircraft, a 40mm job, <coughs> and, and all of a sudden you get boom, 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 boom. They fire about six shells in a clip, and these, these things have got a tracer with them, and and they were shooting at our flanks, as, and we knew not to stray over that line. And it, you knew very well because they looked, they were probably about 20 feet in the air, but they looked as though they were four feet high. And uh, you'd, you'd be concentrating on other things when they'd go off again and this sort of thing. Oh, and they'd given us a, a rum ration for the first time in our careers. And Shorty, he, he said, I'm not going to drink mine. He said, I'm going to carry it. And he got a bottom of a bully beef tin and he poured it into there and he was carrying it. We were marching across no man's land trying to keep a bit of a dressing and uh, <coughs> keeping a straight line and uh, keep three yards from the bloke in front of you and, and, the, and the bloke on either side of you and all that. So you had a few things to do. And Shorty was carrying this bloody thing. And I said, what are you going to do with it? Shorty said, well, what, when we get up very close to the enemy, he said, I'm going to drink it. And I said, I'll get maximum effect from it. It won't burn out or, and be useless by drinking it now. And well, it was probably good sense in a way. And I said, but Shorty, there's a lot of uh, shooting going on uh, around us and uh, shit flying in the air. I said, uh, a bullet could hit that tin and 
put a leak in it. Oh, shitty shit. <laughs> so we got it there. Anyway, <coughs> when when we ran into an enemy position, we were right on top of them, and they started to jump up and run away, and we started taking casualties. We hadn't had any then, and I was one of the first to go down. Uh, and we'd come to a, a suspended strand of wire. It was suspended by uh, those uh, wire tower things that the farmers used. <coughs> and uh, we'd, I'd stepped over the first one. It was marking a minefield. And uh, when we came to the second one, it was too high to step over, so I was bending down to get under it when something hit me in the in the cheek and the bum and bowled me ass of a kite and I got up and the boss was near me and he said are you, are you hit Pat? I said yeah well uh, something something happened I don't know what it was but I think I'm alright I think I can go out and as I said that I got smacked another one right there and I couldn't use my I got a bullet through the wrist and I, and I couldn't hold my tummy gun. They, oh, the last thing, we were at the start line when they took my rifle away from me and gave me a bloody tummy gun. They didn't have many at the time and uh, corporals or section leaders, a uh, uh, bloke in charge of 12 men roughly, um, was issued them. And all I'd, I'd ever only handled one once in training and there was ammunition was short, so uh, I think each of us was allowed to fire a one magazine of 20 rounds. That was all. And uh, so I was given this bloody Tommy gun. And when, when the enemy started jumping up and running away, they were mixed. We were told that they were uh, be Italians, they'd be a walkover. What they didn't tell us is that they were thickened up very considerably with the <laughs> elite German troops. And uh, so we started taking casualties and the boss said to me, can you walk? I said, yeah. He said, well, you go back to the assembly point. Do you know where that is? I said, well, we came due west. So if I go due east, he said, you know how? I said, yeah, I know where the North Star is. If I go at right angles to it, I'll be going the right way. And it worked out. I got hailed. I was wandering out all on land. There'd been soldiers everywhere, and all of a sudden there was none. And I'm heading back the wrong way, or from there we're going one way, and I was going in. And out of the blue, three blokes yelled out to me in a foreign language. I thought, oh my God, you idiot, you bloody well thought you were heading the right way, and you've headed into the enemy. And I, I just lay down, and they bloody well got a bit excited, and, they, and I thought, shit, we're going over here any minute. And so I went over to them and I, we had an argument. Neither side could understand the other. I'd never heard Italian before. And uh, I thought they were taking me prisoner. And uh, that, what what had actually happening was that they were insisting that I take them prisoner. So I did that and I was unarmed. I, when I was wounded, I handed my tummy gun over to someone else. And uh, 
So I, I pulled out my vein, and I found it had this much broken off it. So I put it back where it came from. And I went over to the museum, and they said, uh, where do we go? Or, I suppose. Right, look, see that? Right, we go that way. I went that way, and, and we landed right up back where the assembly point was. And there were wounded arriving there, walking wounded, and the Bren carriers were picking up wounded and bringing them in there, and ambulances were coming there to take us further back. And the doctor that was busy examining blokes there, he was that busy that his brother, who was an officer in the 25th Battalion, I think, had been brought in critically wounded. And the doctor couldn't be with his brother. His brother was dying, and the doctor was too busy. Cases that were going to live, and his brother died while he was too busy to attend. Them. And we were we were lying and sitting there, and a and an armoured car came in and stopped about a hundred metres away from us, and Brigadier Clifton. He was the bloody. He was a, a bit ahead of his time, or a bit. He was like a knight in bloody shining armour running around here, there and everywhere and he bobbed up and, and he poked his head out of this thing and he's ye yelling into a bloody uh, uh, radio and it was attracting bloody uh, fire and it was machine gun fire but I'm sitting there and a bloody bullet smacks here and it bank alongside me and I just missed my bloody leg and uh, anything else and uh, we yelled out to him, piss off you useless bastard, you're drawing enemy fire and of course he had earphones on, he wouldn't hurt us but uh, we, we didn't like him anyway, he was captured that night and, and uh, <coughs> uh, but uh, it, it was pretty efficient the rounding up of wounded and uh, getting them out of it to the uh, forward dressing stations and there would have been three of those because uh, all, each brigade had its own uh, uh, dressing we had a forward one a main one and a casual theatre station they had all three of them and it was very very primitive in the uh, the, the first one I went it was sand bottom and we had a tent up and, uh, and they were doing these operations and I was near an orderly that came to the doctor and he said this is the last bottle of uh, blood we've got for transfusions and the doctor said well and uh, the orderly said we don't know when the next one's arriving the doctor said well we can't worry about that but he said that goes to the most uh, bloke most severely wounded bloke and the orderly said, well, it happens to be a German over there, but he, it's that black over there, but he's a German. The doctor said, if he's the worst one wounded, he's the one to have it. And uh, the orderly said, well, he'll die before it's finished. The doctor said, oh, well, we just hope that more arrives. We gave it to the German, and he did die during the event. And about the same time, the fresh blood arrives. Ah, and there were two officers near where I was lying. Our company commander, Major Bayer, and uh, Jack Connolly, who became the colonel later on, 
dialogue there, and I heard Andy say to him, how'd you get on, uh, whatever Connolly's name was, Connolly said, oh, we had fairly light casualties, and uh, Bayer said, oh, yes, D Company, uh, yeah, ours were pretty light too. I thought, well, this is my first time in action, if that was light casualties, because when I get hit, the bloke starts going down, and we lost about 14 blokes in about the length of the tennis court. We're going down everywhere, and some of them are going out for bloody uh, stretcher bearers, and, and some of them, the ones that were lightly wounded, one bloke was, he had a bit of a wound in the head, who was bugger off, and he was, he was yelling and kicking at Bob's, he died. And our padre, our doctor had warned us beforehand, he said, when you go in, he said, any casualties that are very quiet, those are the ones to look at very seriously. The noisy ones, leave them. Concentrate on those. Uh, when I <coughs> got into hospital, we uh, we eventually. From the time of hit until the time I got to Alexandria, only about 70 miles away, it spent two nights, at least two nights. You got from a an advanced dressing station to a main dressing station to a casualty clearing station, and you stopped at each of them, and uh, you were given any treatment that was required. For example, I had a operation when I first got into one to tidy up the wound. There was jagged bits of flesh and I wanted to make it even, I suppose. I don't know what happened. And uh, <coughs> we were just lying there on the floor in the stretches uh, and watching the uh, blokes <laughs> only a few yards away from us doing operating. And uh, we, uh, we got out of the ambulance there I got out of that thing, and we went and we moved at night to the next dressing station, and we stopped, and the driver and his uh, mate came round the back and said, "Does anyone know where the North Star is? We're lost." Their way of um, navigating at night, they had a hurricane lantern with a one a shade one side of it, and it was down at ground level. They drove to one, <coughs> and then they looked for the next one, and they drove to it. Well, they drove to what they thought was a light, and when they got to it, they found it was a burnt-out truck. It had been burning for hours, and there was just a little bit of a fire there. And they couldn't find any other lights. So they approached us. There was about probably six or seven of us in the back of this ambulance, and they said, anyone know where the North Star is? And there was a dead silence. And I said, I know where it is. And I'd walked into the ambulance. When I went to walk out of it, it stiffened up. And I had a hell of a job getting out. <coughs> and I said, that's it over there. So if you go right angles to it, you'll be right. And it was. And we got to a dressing station and a bloke came uh, and uh, a doctor 
said to me, uh, "What? what's your trouble? I, I was wearing uh, sleeves down and I had blood down here. And I said, I've got hits somewhere here. And so he, he fixed it up and found out what it was. And, <coughs> and as a sort of an afterthought, he said, have you got any other injuries? I said, oh, yeah, I think I got a bit of a nick in the ass. And he dropped me tweeds and he said, look, he said, shit, he said, if that's a nick, I'm a bit surprised, because something was about that size. Yeah, it was a big flesh wound. Best place to have a big flesh wound. More flesh there than most. And whatever it hit me, <coughs> God knows what it was, there wasn't any uh, artillery or mortars going off there. And I think it was an explosive bullet. And I had my bayonet still in the scabbard because I had a Tommy gun and uh, I hadn't discarded the bayonet. And something hit the bayonet and a bit of that bayonet had broken off. And uh, so I had a half a bayonet and I think that the explosion had occurred on the surface before it had it gone, penetrated my leg and exploded, well, uh, I would have lost a leg up, well, right up in the joint, and you can't fit a, a uh, artificial limb there. <coughs> Had the bullet in the wrist gone down there, it would have done all sorts of damage. It actually went through there without touching anything. Well, they said that it, uh, I got a, there, it's, it's, it's a slight angle, and it never hit any bone. They said it cut a nerve, but some of those jo nerves would join up. They said, but the older you get, the worse it'll get. And in the last 20 years of my working life, I was working a keyboard and a linotype. So it didn't. And before that, I'd been putting ads together as like jigsaw puddles and using your fingers with those. And uh, <coughs> rolling smokes at the time, I think, while I was injured, was the best therapy for my fingers. Yeah, and... Uh, just while you while you're in bed ridden, you smoke a bit more than usual, and uh, I, I never had much trouble with the thing. Anyway, the doctor uh, they put dressings on me, and I'm lying there, and I went to sleep. And stretch, and the next morning I'm lying there on my side, and I look, and there's a bastard standing alongside me, and he had jack boots on. Shit, it was a hun, all right. And I looked next. We'd had uh, uh, dressing stations that had been captured overnight. That it had actually happened. They'd changed their ownership. And I thought, shit, there's been a change. And I look over, and the next bloke in the net, he's a hun. Oh, shit. I went to have a look over there, and I couldn't bloody well, because of the wind, I couldn't. Anyway, the German standing up, he could speak English a bit, and uh, he told me that he was a uh, an, an, engine, uh, an automotive engineer. He said, "What do you call them?" I said, "A mechanic." He said, "A mechanic." Oh, he thought that was going to laugh like hell, and uh, <clears throat> I gave him a cigarette. 
which was surprising, you know, the night before I would wanted to kill everyone I had seen. The next morning, well, he was just a bloke that was needing a smoke, and I offered him one. He broke it in half, and he gave half to the bloke that was in the stretcher, who was very, very sick. And uh, so we, we were talking, and uh, the orderlies came along to the sick bloke, and they started to rig up some gear to give him a transfusion, and uh, the patient he suddenly was very, very lively, and he was no under no circumstances did he want a bloody transfusion. I said to his mate, what's his objection? He said, well, we know that all New Zealanders are syphilitic. We don't want bloody syphilis from you bastards. I said, um, uh, that's not true. Uh, our blacks would be like yours. Uh, you'd have hard cases that chase women anywhere you could go, and others that were, had wives and families and sweethearts at home, and or, or just never got mixed up with women. And <coughs> anyway, uh, they they gave him the transfusion, and uh, and I. Uh, there was a little orderly there. I'd been at night school with him in Hamilton, yeah. And uh, he told me in the next dressing station I got a brother there. He said there was three of us serving in the medical corps. The blacks, uh, they were belonged to a religion that believed in uh, uh, <coughs> passive resistance. And and, uh, and, ra and they, they didn't want to be conscientious objectors, so they, uh, they served in the medical corps. And uh, uh, years later, I was talking to my doctor, who was a returned man, Dr. Douglas, and he said, I served in the um, uh, an advanced dressing station. And he said, <coughs> I had a colleague in the main dressing station, and he wanted to go up to where the action was in the front one. So he said, we arranged for it to happen one night. <laughs> And he spent a night in my job, and I had his. And he said, during the night, there one came under heavy shell fire. So he said, I rang him up and said, do you want to swap? <laughs> <laughs> mm. <clears throat> so at, at what point did you work out that the Germans hadn't taken over? Uh, well, it's when I saw the Hamilton black orderly there, I realized that it was still all right.